All right, welcome back to the final hour of Green Rush Live here on a Friday afternoon on Pro Cannabis Media. We're here every Friday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, which thankfully I figured out Pacific Time is three hours earlier so that I can actually reach out to some people we know on the West Coast, like Josh Kincaid out in Washington State. And now we're bringing in somebody else from Washington State. His name is Bruce Barcott, and he is a, uh, I, I guess I have to call you a former editor of Leafly.com. Is, is that where we're at right now, Bruce? That's where we're at, Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, footloose and fancy free now after uh, seven good years at Leafly. Yeah, and you did a great job. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan. I've read the book, Weed the People, and I actually have it as required reading for people who want to learn about the space that we're in now. Um, Bruce, as you look back at those seven years and you look back at Washington State, uh, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom and reality going on right now in the cannabis space. We just spent a lot of time with Michael Correa from Washington, D.C., and talking a lot about uh, the, the challenges of getting any kind of federal reform. Are you amazed that we're still growing at this point? I mean, it's you'd think the green rush happened early. There was cannabis 1.0 and then there was 2.0. And are we at like 3.0 yet? Or are we still kind of trying to get through the 2.0? I think, honestly, I think we're still trying to get through the 2.0. I think of 1.0 as being, you know, really... Uh, what do we want to say, 20, 2014 through 2021, maybe, mm -hmm. yeah. um, with a little uh, ancillary boost from the from the pandemic. Um, but I, I do think we're in a, uh, you know, a, a settling period, a, a falling out period right now, where um, a lot of the hope and um, uh, over exuberance that went into the cannabis legalization movement and then the industry, and rightly so, for so many reasons, um, has settled down. And, and I think that uh, a lot of people for many, many years, you know, viewed cannabis as the next tech in terms of the financial possibilities there, in terms of people coming in and, you know, making a billion dollars with a B. Um, and, you know, we can go in many directions talking about that, but I think the reality is that, and people are seeing this now, is that it is a hard business to turn a buck in. You know, there's parts of this that are agriculture, there's parts of this that are just plain retail, and um, it doesn't, you know, scale in the way that, that Facebook um, might scale. You still have to p sell a person a joint or a gram or an ounce face to face, you know? Right. Oh no, ab absolutely, and and I and we were talking about earlier is I think the government, both at the federal, state, and town level, have done an amazing job of putting so many elements and levels in to really test the passion and commitment of the industry and try to do everything they possibly can to either break the industry or really thin the herd before it even becomes a herd. Yeah, and you know one of the the things that that we've seen um, play out is you know there's this this great tension between uh, the MSOs, the large players who have have stores and operations in in many states across the U.S., you know, versus the local local players, the local people who are trying to get up a small farm, who are trying to get up a, a you know a sim a single retail store, uh, and you know there's there is um, there's a way in which 
you know, many governments are trying to build in uh, opportunities for small operators, for entrepreneurs, especially people of color who have been harmed by the war on drugs, this sort of thing. But there's a way in which also there those those efforts are being undermined by the um, uh, overzealousness of a lot of the rules that are going in on the state level and a local level. You know, essentially, you know, we see this most commonly with the so-called opt-out towns that don't allow any businesses in mm -hmm. their in their district. Um, but also, you know, the the onerousness of a lot of state regulations, and then the simple fact of taxes of that IRS rule that just slays any notion of profit um, every year. It's a right. tough one. So, Bruce, with that, you're talking about 280E. I'm assuming yeah. that'd be the write-off stuff. Yesterday, I I think it was yesterday, like last night, um, I saw something about the banking act or you know safe banking mm -hmm. uh, in in DC getting I forget what the term is. It got pushed up or whatever, and it's the first time in a while that that, that it's anything has been given um, that kind of priority, which indicates, I guess. Um, a significant drive or interest in order to get something done, not just placating the audience, but like truly trying to get something done. So between banking, and this is a, this is a three-part um, choose your own uh, solution. Here. All right. What's going to be, what's going to be the biggest drive for the industry? Is it going to be 280E that you just mentioned with taxes? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be banking or is it going to be interstate commerce? Oh, I know the answer. Oh, you you know the answer, huh, Jimmy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I I think, um, you know, if you ask me if, to pick one, let's say, right? Um, I, I have a choice of three, and I can pick one. Um, honestly, I would I would pick interstate commerce. Yep, yep. I, I really would. We are I, the I United that, States of America, after yeah, all, right? Yeah, yeah. You know this this I this 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 artificial bordering of states that we do and forcing people to grow cannabis in New Jersey um where while at while at the same time you know Oregon is just like drowning in cannabis plants you know uh and you know California to 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 a certain extent as well um i think that really could even things out uh quite a bit and and help right the ship in terms of making the national cannabis industry a more logical industry where people who have the resources to grow and the sunshine and the soil can grow and just go bananas and then put it on a truck and ship it across the country right we, i think we, it's held back the industry a lot in in terms of how covid sped the sped up the global landscape about 10 years for a lot of things specifically in our industry delivery um mm -hmm. e-commerce uh things of that nature like it, it sped up a lot um and, and hopefully um that that'll kind of continue uh in that in that direction um is there anything that you see that could could propel that any quicker i'm not sure because you know i think that that uh for the last two years, um, un you know, until uh, the House turned over to Republicans, there was this great hope that safe banking, at least safe banking, would pass, if not full federal legalization. 
And then, you know, when when nothing happened and the House went over to the Republicans, and I really don't expect anything to come out of uh, of the House uh, in a positive way in terms of, of drug reform or cannabis legal reform, um, I, I think there's a sort of a feeling of retrenchment and, and a feeling that, okay, this is kind of what we're set with, I think, for the next couple of years, and we're going to have to work within these guidelines. Um, and unfortunately, that has led to other sort of ancillary repercussions. Um, that realization, I think, scared a lot of investment money away, um, which has made it much harder um, for a number of companies to, you know, either stay afloat and make payroll or just to get to get started. Um, there's not that uh, kind of crazy money available that we saw uh, four or five, six years ago. And I think it's interesting because the whole movement was designed to um, legalize and get rid of the illicit market, okay, or at least uh, uh, minimize it. And it, mm -hmm. it has had the exact opposite effect because of the bureaucracy, because of these issues. And it's also another reason why I think you're starting to see states making deals with each other out there on the west coast for interstate commerce you know it's like why do we need to wait around if you're out in oregon washington and california let's just share what we have out here on the west coast and again it makes sense in business but it but it it's is it hurting the legalization movement is it hurting the reform movement i guess is the question i have for you bruce I don't. I don't think the idea of, of interstate commerce and the fact that these states are um, moving ahead in theory, if not in practice, right? Um, I think it's having a, a, the exact opposite effect. I think that um, you know, again, for for many years, there was the assumption that you know the states are the 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 um, you know the nursery, the 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 cradle of new projects and in democracy and. And we're trying out legalization, and eventually that'll burble up to the federal level, and Congress will naturally pass legalization act, and things will be better. It hasn't happened. I think interstate commerce could be the next step that states have to take on their own, sort of pushing past the existing line um, to make progress happen. And I'm not sure how that will happen it could be i mean you know back in 2013 after colorado and washington legalized um there were a lot of like delicate negotiations or delicate talks that went on between um washington colorado their state essentially governors um and the obama administration like how are we going to handle this because it's still definitely federally illegal and so the Justice Department essentially came out with a memo that said, all right, we're going to let you proceed with this, but here's here's the line. You can proceed, but don't pass the, go past these lines. I think something similar um, might, you know, help propel a little more progress in terms of interstate commerce, in terms of just say, let's say Washington, Oregon, and California got together and presented something to the Department of Justice and said, hey, look, we have a real problem with the illicit market. Um, this is one way we think that could really uh, uh, give us a, a, a strong tool to combat that illicit market. Let's just lower the barriers between those state lines, you know, the Columbia River and then, uh, you know, that line in California that I don't know is geographically marked, but it's there. Um, I don't know. That's what I think about interstate commerce. I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities there.
Yeah, just like COVID slowed everything or sped some stuff up, I think that also interstate commerce could do the same thing. If we look at if the dormant commerce clause was used to allow for interstate commerce, we could have the equivalent of incubators and think tanks and focus groups and all of these people coming together to brainstorm on because uh, you have you've got some people in states that are saying we've got fire and then you look at it and like, man, that's a meme right there that's poop soup in a jar what are you doing if we could get rid of the the barriers and and these these ridiculous state borders and and actually allow for a single cannabis cup where all of these innovators could come through we could have some really really good cannabis um and maybe allow for blue dream to come back because it's not a high yield or it goes into um the rainy months or whatever and, and so they base these cultivars or strains on what's going to be a higher yield and i don't want to pick my choice based on the farmer making the most money i want to pick it based on what terpene profile works best for me and i think that having an open interstate commerce will allow people to come together figure out what's the best way to do it where and how and then network like a true co-op to be able to produce the best um you know, there's some a guy running around with a, a sweatshirt said the weed's supposed to taste good. <laughs> you know, like that. It, that's so. It, it, it's a meme. It's almost funny that he has to wear that on his shirt, but it's it's standard. It should be good. And I believe that interstate commerce could be that thing to really kind of bring everybody together to have that connoisseur cannabis that we all deserve. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was a perennial challenge uh, when I was editing it at Leafly. Um, was the fact that we wanted to get information about the best products to our readers. That was like goal number one. People need more information about what they're buying or what they could buy, what's good and what's not good. One of the huge challenges and frustrations was that because the industry is so fragmented state to state, you could write about what's amazing in California right now. And people just across the border, I mean, in Oregon, I mean, obviously, if you're just across the border, you can drive. Um, but, you know, people on the West Coast would be like, wow, that sounds amazing. How can I get it? Well, you can't. You got to go to California to get it. Or, you know, likewise in Massachusetts, if they got some new product in Massachusetts mm -hmm. and we're raving about it, uh, you can only still obtain it in, in, in Massachusetts. You know, even though there are, you know, obviously companies and brands that move state to state now, not all of them do. But like, like the hash say, strips in Canada, we can rip a piece of hash and put it in your joint, but you can't get it here like right, that. Right. Well, whatever it is, like it's it's um, it is a, a real um, a real problem. And it's something that, you know, I can't think of another industry that that faces that. That's right. That's right. No, it's it's so unique, guys. Um, we we all know that. But one of the the things we talk about interstate commerce, and this is one of the things that is a bit hypocritical because there is already interstate commerce in the cannabis industry. People are using the, they're manufacturing, the, the genetics are coming across state lines, whether they be seeds, they're turning it into concentrates, they're turning it into edibles. It's the same recipe in California as it is in Massachusetts, as it is in Michigan. This is happening. It's, they're replicating the same uh, product in other states. So, but, What's hurting is the fact that flour can't be across state lines, right? So once again, the enlightenment of our government needs to happen because they, they have to understand that this, there's already interstate commerce going on. And, and by the way, you feds aren't getting a piece of this yet. 
Yeah. That's the FOMO yeah. we should be sending is like, you're missing out on some money. If you right. can seeds, how come I can't ship a clone or a seed right. plan? It makes no sense. No and sense. You go all the way to the end with the finished product. Like what's the difference? That's exactly right. Hey, hey, Bruce, I'm going to tell you something. Um, th there was sure. an article. Um, you, you pointed out a great article and I want to get to that in a minute. But mm -hmm. the, um, in Massachusetts, the Talking Joints memo produced by Chris Farone um, put out a uh, interesting memo, or I guess it was an article this week, on uh, the testing, the inconsistencies of testing, and and some of the, uh, oh, let's just say less than uh, legal activities that go on between the testing labs and the producers of the product uh, to enhance those testing results. The the. You guys at Leafly, I'll never forget. You went and you, you tested different products, and you, you know, you kind of reported on it. It was a great expose. Once again, it's part of the learning process about how delicate the plant's makeup is. You can't you you use the word clone, uh, Josh. You can't clone cannabis. You just can't. It it impacts everybody differently, and and. Every time that a, a batch is tested out of this area, let's just say, it's not going to be the same as being tested out of this area. And, it, and it, so it, what, and by the way, our regulators and our legislatures all want it to be clean and make sure we don't have mold. And I, as a, as a consumer, I don't want to have mold in it either, by the way. Not that I even knew what mold was back in the 70s or the 80s, but I didn't care back then. I was just happy to get it then. Now you can clean it up. You didn't, you didn't like the mold on those stems you were smoking, huh, Jimmy? That's right. That's right. That's right. No, we used to, I take this with seat. the fire you've got. You've got 100% mold now, whether it's indoor or outdoor. Those mold spores are going through every single filter right. in, in everywhere. So everyone in the Northeast has got mold now. Yeah. And we figured that out, Bruce. I don't, you, you remember 2017 when the Eastern Oregon uh, fires were blowing through and then people were getting popped and they're like, what's going on? And I think you guys probably wrote on that and were like, it's the, it's the fires pushing the mold spores through creating yeah. havoc for everybody. And then they just go mold to gold. We're going to blast this. And then now you can dab it safely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, lab shopping has been a problem. You know, that's a problem that cropped up early here in Washington state um, with, with um, folks going lab to lab and see who can, who can, you know, result the highest THC level because that's the biggest bang for the buck the consumer wanted. Um, and I, you know, there's a, there's the classic two-prong attack on that. One is uh, simply to ed continue to educate consumers um, that it's just, it's not all about the THC. It's it's about so many other things that go into the experience. Um, but I think there's also, the, there's also a way in which um, I think when we all started up these, these regulations and these industrial systems, um, we thought that uh, we think of labs as being sort of angelic players in the system you know where no well of course they wouldn't they wouldn't pipe their results you know they're 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 oh. they're decent folk they're scientists um they're robots and, and you know we we learned early on that no actually like the there's a the a profit motive involved here and and that can really skew things and you know i've i've seen some reports in the last year where where folks are advertising like you know thc percentages in the 40s and and such and i'm like you, you, I'm not sure what you're doing to a to a plant to pump it up to THC in the 40s or 50s, but like that's that's no longer a plant. There's no room for cellulose anymore. Like what is what is going on there? That's that's not working. Um, right. So yeah, it is a it is a, a 
it is it is it is an issue and i think that um again it's 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 so early in terms of consumer right. knowledge about right. these products that's um, right and and has been um you know this this you know we've had a forced ignorance about it for 80 85 years of right. of, of prohibition you know right and 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 let's let's educate some of our consumers you can go into a dispensary, you can look and see what has the highest percentage of THC, and you can make your buy, because that's what's been going on now. But we all know, those that have, you know, been around it and talked to scientists and growers and everything, it is the terpene profile that dictates the impact of that THC and the other cannabinoids in the plant. And that is probably more important than the percentage of THC. But you know, people are looking, I want to get the best stuff to get the best high. Well, you know, maybe that's not what you should be looking for. You want to get the best result of what you're looking for this plant to do for you. And, and you wouldn't I want to get on a motorcycle going a thousand miles an hour without a steering wheel and terpenes are the steering wheel. So you're going to right. get somewhere fast, but how do you know where you're going to go? Yeah. Bruce, why, why is it in Washington state when I go to my, my local dispensary or no matter where it is, mm -hmm. how come they, they don't have terpenes yet? You go to Nevada, a relatively recent state and they, they, buy a lot of stuff based on terpenes. And yet in Washington, they give me happy, you know, relaxed, or THC based on the lowest price. So I could filter on price and filter on THC. Why after so long is a state like Washington falling behind? Huh. I think that's one where, you know, that that's gotta be essentially consumer driven. I think, I really do think that that's gotta be, that has gotta come from consumers demanding to know about terpenes, about the terpene profile of the product they're buying. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't want to uh, sit here with a hammer and bang on our our local alcohol um, control board in Washington State, but they, our regulators, do a good do a, do their best. But they are they have never really been set up um, to regulate cannabis proactively. I mean, they were from the start an alcohol regulatory body. That's what they, so that's what they do well, um, and. They really, I, I think with cannabis, they're all about, um, you know, in, enforcing age minimums, which they should. They're all about, you know, enforcing some other things, but really they don't get involved in um, demanding that uh, testing labs, you know, give a terpene profile with every run they do. And so I think that, that unless that comes from the consumer telling the bud tender, telling the retailer, Hey, I just, I need, I want to know more about what you got going on here. Um, it's not going to happen. I mean, look, we've been trying to get uh homegrown rule, homegrown <laughs> rules for last year in Washington for years. Like we have, we have, you know, we got higher priorities at a certain point when it comes to um, uh, regulations and, and the state legislature. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think again, it's a, it's a, a consumer demand kind of thing. And we, you know, at, at Leafly, we tried many different ways of talking about terpenes. Um, but I think the industry still has a long way to go in terms of coming up with the language to talk about terpenes and the experience and connecting those things. Right. Um, because it just, uh, we don't have the words yet, you know. Right. 
Hey, I, I was think at Don Kingsbury is going to finally overturn that felony on home grow this year in Washington. So I think that bill is going to be received fairly well if they don't approve it this year, hopefully good. next year. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. I mean, look, just to, to cap that that uh, thought, I mean, I, you know, I'm a I, I like beer. I'm not a I'm not a beer connoisseur. But, you know, there's right now there's a there's a, a craze, at least in my corner of the country, for hazy IPAs. Right. Juicy, hazy IPAs. And those are very blunt terms, but they're the words that I use when I go and look for that specific product right now. It would probably embarrass somebody who actually knows something about beer, but I'm a, a very like mainstream connoisseur, and I think we need simpler terms and more powerful terms to, to describe terpenes. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, by the way, melemaline, mele dispronouncing them is a challenge, um, let, let alone spelling them. Um, you guys are both from Washington State, and we haven't even talked about, wasn't there a, a news item this week about the one of the Tri-Cities opting in to cannabis now? Um, is it is it Pasco, Washington? Is that a city in Washington? Okay, so that's in our news show. It's on at 6 o'clock. I just want you to know I spotted it. They are now... so. A lot of states, when they go legal, allow the local towns to opt in or opt out of whether they want to have dispensaries in their town. It isn't tied to the actual vote for that particular ballot question or anything like that. And in Washington state, that that city, Pasco, has decided to opt in to the cannabis dispensaries. And that was pretty that was a pretty big deal. I thought that because if you look at New York, a lot of the towns, once they go legal, they go, no, not in our town. It's the NIMBY factor, right, guys? Isn't that what they call it? The NIMBY factor? Yeah. Um not in my and, backyard. Yeah. And, right, not in my backyard. And yet here in Washington State, is this go when I'm looking at that and I say, oh, maybe this is a trend. You know, maybe the New Jersey, the new market in New Jersey, those that have opted out will now start to opt in. Uh, you know, more and more towns in Massachusetts now are looking at the taxes that are generated in the various towns that are. That's what you're. That's the thing you got to focus on because you're making sure. it sound like they they pulled their head out of their ass in Pasco and they didn't. What happened was, I believe, is that they were incentivized because a they weren't going to get the money and b I think they're literally paying up to two point five million dollars. Don't quote me on that. To opt in, so uh, Bruce can maybe give us more. Sorry, I am I am out of the I am out of the loop on the past. Not covering the beat anymore. It's Sorry, not as beat yeah. anymore. I, I did it. I found. It. Hey, this is big. Give me credit for that. Props. <laughs> Pasco's we a teeny news, town. Had this story. <laughs> but here's the thing. Pasco's a teeny town, but it is it is um, conservative country because it's all about farming and and everything. So that's a big deal because they right. have. There's a thing called um, Red Mountain in Eastern Washington, and it has a wine mafia. I use the term loosely, and they don't want cannabis anywhere. And so they use that NIMBY, the not my backyard thing, to push people out and say cows, you know, or uh, cannabis stinks. Not the cow shit that's everywhere, right. but the cannabis. And so it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. They're using anything they can out in Pasco, but the fact that this conservative area of Pasco is saying yes is huge news at a very, very teeny local level because it's just saying, hey, it's acceptable. It's money. Let's do it. Who cares? Nobody's pushing back. So all of those things at, at the the heart of the country in middle America is going to start expanding and there's going to be a lot of people going, damn, I didn't think that 
um, Utah would have it, or we're in um, Washington State and Ferndale up north um, and a couple other places don't serve alcohol on Sundays, but they'll have cannabis. So yeah. there's some of these these areas that um, are opting in that don't like alcohol that are saying yes to cannabis. And that's the takeaway is that nobody's pushing back because no one cares. Right. We had a viewer from Utah in the chat room earlier today, too. So it just gives you an idea. We've got that kind of reach. Hey, Bruce, I love talking to you. I really do. I don't care if you're not on the beat anymore. You have such a great perspective on this industry and the history of it. And I so appreciate you coming on today. And I really hope we get a chance to uh, continue this because uh, I've always enjoyed your work. Absolutely. I love I love talking with you, Jimmy. And uh, I love, you know, I love talking cannabis. Like, honestly, uh, you know, uh, 10 years ago, I got in, I got in on this to this uh, sort of fell into it when, you know, Washington legalized and I happened to live in Washington and I looked around and said, what the hell's going on here? And, you know, the more I, I did my research and wrote my book, um, the more I just I just love covering this subject and thinking about it and writing about it. There's so many different just aspects of life that get teased right. out of this. Um, right. We were talking the other day, you and me, just and, and everything from, um, you know, how cannabis affects sleep to the idea of stigma uh, and the so, like the social racial history of the United States gets so mm -hmm. entwined with all of this. Right. Um, I, I, I really love it. I, I can't get enough of it. There you go. Well, let's stay tuned to Pro Cannabis Media because hopefully 2023 is the year that the rest of the country picks up on what we're doing here and and share, like, and subscribe to everybody. That's what we want. Bruce Barkhart, thank you again. Uh, we will keep in touch and I, I'm looking forward to the next book that comes out. Awesome. Great talking with you both. You bet. Last half hour of Green Rush Live coming up next. Don't go away. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.